0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lutie. It's a beautiful day here in Colorado. Why don't we start with prayer? Father, I pray that today would be marked by your presence, your power. Lord, I pray that you would uh, deepen us. and Lord, as your church, I pray that you would stir within us, that your Holy Spirit would work to bring about uh, your ends, and Lord, that uh, Jesus Christ would be seen more clearly. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead in this time this morning. I pray that the uh, truths would be uh, lifted uh, up sort of like gold out of uh, out of a mind, Lord, that we would see it and that we would know what to go after. Lord, I just thank you so much for your nature that is unchanging. and I pray that the revelation of Christ would be clear. It's in the precious name we pray, amen. All right, well, I'm very excited about this uh, particular message. Uh, It hasn't come up on my screen yet, so I can't see it. I know what it it is, but uh, it's called uh, The Rainbow People which uh, sounds very new age, doesn't it? Uh, very liberal, uh, and those of you that know me know that I'm not. Uh, but uh, it's, it's funny because the, the symbol of a rainbow has been taken hostage by, uh, by those that actually don't love God. And so it's, a, it's an interesting tension whenever we bring it up. And you just feel like you're, you're dealing with the enemy's territory instead of God's. But uh, the rainbow technically is God's territory. And so I'll make that clear today. But uh, this this message isn't necessarily just about rainbows, even though it's a key theme in it. But the rainbow people, which is actually a really funny title considering our modern age and uh, generation in which we live, but also what that would mean. And uh, so I have a subtitle, which is Built on the Power of Always. So remember Joseph? Joseph had a coat of many colors. And uh, there's all sorts of drama that uh, is incurred because of this. But Joseph is an amazing picture of the Messiah in so many regards. But many of us have never thought about the fact that that coat of many colors is a symbol of something. It's it's a symbol actually of the throne room of God, of the kingly authority of God. And uh, so I'm going to make the statement that God has a coat of many colors, over and over and over again, we get these God sightings in the Old Testament, even in the New, in the book of Revelation. What we see is uh, a picture of God in his glory, in his throne room. And what's interesting is he's clothed in something. If you want to say it that way, he is wrapped in something, and that is a rainbow. He's clothed in rainbow. So here's a couple examples. Ezekiel one twenty-eight. As the appearance of the bow, or the rainbow, that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spoke. I remember uh, years ago, we were going around uh, the of Prep Academy classroom, and each of the kids, I was like, tell me your favorite color. And I think it was Avonlea uh, that her favorite color was rainbow. Uh, and so, you know that to us adults rush, no no no, that's not a color. However, you know, it, it does say something. You see, it seems to be a symbol of God. It's the likeness of the glory of the Lord is this rainbow. Revelation four three. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So there we have, again, the rainbow that wraps about the throne. So I'm going to build on this because the idea of a rainbow is very, very significant in Scripture. And... Basically, what it means is the always nature of God. God is always going to be the same. He is never going to change. If he gives a rainbow, that's a huge statement. The proper name of God. I've always found that fascinating to think of God having a proper name. We refer to him as God, but he has a name. Just My name's Eric. God has a name. So here we find this out in Exodus 3. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Well, that doesn't seem like a name, does it? I am that I am. And it's all caps. I mean, in the the text that I'm reading here, it's all caps. I am that I am. It's a name. And then I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. So we have this name that uh, the Jews would not even speak for fear that they would mishandle it. But it's interesting that it says, This is my memorial unto all generations. This name is a memorial unto all generations. What an interesting statement. So to the Jews, it was referred to as the ineffable name. And so that that basically comes from uh, the Ten Commandments, where it says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Speaking of this name, it's not just a name, it's this name. Do not take it in vain, do not mishandle it. And so that's going to, of course, become a huge issue when Christ comes along and he begins to actually say that he is the I Am. So the ineffable name, it's basically what we has historically been known as the Tetragrammaton, or the four letters. And so if you, if you can see the screen right now, if you're streaming, you would see it says YHVH. We translate that as Yahweh, or Yahweh. However, it's actually unknown to the Jews how to pronounce it, because no one ever said it. The only time it would ever be spoken was by the high priest when he came into the Holy of Holies once a year with the offering of blood on the day of atonement. So what it translates to is, I am. And however, it says more than I am. It's just sort of a hard word to translate. It also would mean, I was, and I am, and I always will be. In other words, it's the one that is always. So the so when God speaks he says I am but when we say it we would say he was he is and he always will be and that's an important distinction you see God is the one that can say I am we don't say that we say he is so what this means is the always the continuous the never-ending the perpetual the same so Today in this message, what I'd like to do is I'd like to build an understanding of how God reveals himself throughout scripture, because very purposely, he's going to lay building blocks in place for us to see and understand who he is. When Adam and Eve fail in the garden, they rebel, they reject the very nature of God, the very person of God. What happens is there's a void that is created. A, there's a lostness. They have turned to, uh, to the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of God. And so the knowledge of God immediately begins to dissipate and it begins to be lost. And so God, because he so loves, begins to reveal himself. And so I mean, is, is that, you know, when we read scripture, it, it goes from Adam and Eve to, to Moses fairly quickly However, there's a long passage of time in there, and so as a result, what we have is a lostness of truth, but then God comes out of his way to reveal himself to Moses in the burning bush, and he declares himself that he is the I am, the one who is always the same, perpetually always who he is, and then he begins to layer on top of that, and that's what I'd like to to show you is through the word of God in text, and where it's being, where men are being carried along by the Spirit of God to reveal who this God is. It seems very strategic in how God is revealing Himself. So we're going to call this the most elementary attribute of God because it's how He starts in His revelation to Moses: "I Amness," eternal sameness, forever, alwaysness, unchanging, everness. You see, God is. And this never alters. And this is the most elementary attribute of God. Everything you could ever learn about God needs to build upon this. No matter what you learn today about God, you can always know it'll always be the same because God never changes. So his unchanging everness. I like that statement. That's a really cool statement. His unchanging everness. His nature, the most basic building block of faith. Hebrews 11 discusses this. And so this is in the New Testament now. And what we see is this understanding of the Christ, the person of Jesus, has come to this earth and he has accomplished something on our behalf. However, if someone is going to come unto God, there is something very, very important that is necessary. So it says in Hebrews 11 But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe. That he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The, the statement he is is in there twice. You see, you must come, if you're going to come to God, you must first believe that he is. That is so foundational and elementary in our understanding of God. We must know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's more than that, it's also understanding that Jesus is. And even in the name Jesus, you have the I am and then an action. That's actually how you build and construct the name Jesus. It's Jehovah or Yahweh or the unspeakable, ineffable name of God, the I am, saves. You add the verb saves to it. And so we must believe that God is. We must believe that Jesus is and that he is a rewarder. So if if I were to say God is, you'd say he is what? And I could just end it right there, and it'd be fine. God is. He's just always the same. However, God has layered on top of that. He hasn't just left it with a dot, dot, dot. God is what? He's actually answered that question. One of the most critical dimensions of understanding the nature of God is to know that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So there's two factors of faith, as I would break it out of Hebrews 11.6, and that is the facts... And the promise. So number one, the facts. What are the facts? He is. He will always be the same. He was, he is, and he always will be. Number two, there's a promise. And that is he is a rewarder. So when you understand this, you recognize that God will always be the same and that if you pursue him, he will be found. He is inclined towards our benefit. Most Christians really struggle with this they feel insecure in who they are in God because they feel like he's capricious. But God is not capricious, meaning he's going to stick out his hand for a handshake, and the moment you reach out to take it, he's going to pull it back and do this thing. I remember when we were in junior high, we would reach out and do that, and someone would try and shake our hand. We'd go, psych, and we'd rub our hand through the side of our hair, and it was really cool to do that. God doesn't do that. God does not psych us. God is not capricious. So... God has said, hey, my hand is always out to you. If you take my hand, it will grip yours. So I have a really cool picture up on the screen. It's a picture, it's sort of a funny looking guy, but it's building blocks, but it actually looks like a king. It's like a throne. And so what we have is uh, six particular building blocks and a head with a crown on top of it. And I'm going to layer in six different revelations of God as are ever increasing throughout the revelation of Scripture. And so the very first one is the one that I just gave, which was, he was, and is, and is to come. He is unchanging everness. This is how God started in his revelation unto Moses. He is going to begin a revelation. He's going to bring Moses up into a mountain, and he's going to speak with him for 40 days. And he's going to give an understanding of who he is, but he's going to layer that understanding upon this. He is the I am. That is the name. That is the memorial unto all generations of who God is. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God reveals himself to Moses. Now what he's going to do is begin to give him, give Moses his word. Now we know, those of us that understand the history of the Bible, we know that the first five books are written by Moses. So what can we say? That God isn't just always the same. He wasn't just, it's not just that he was, he is, and he always will be, but that he is a revelatory God. That he desires to be known, and that he has given us his word. This is an attribute of who he is in that he is a giver of revelation. He is a desirer to be known. He he longs to be understood. And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by the name Jehovah, the I am, was I not known to them. God desires to be known. And so even as we see this unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he reveals himself But now unto Moses and the people of Israel and to us, he is layering in a greater understanding. So I'm going to add that next block in. So the first block was he was and he is and he is to come. But the next block is he is the word of God. And I have a little subtitle that one. He has made himself and his purposes known. So it's not just that he's unchanging, that he's always the same. What do we know about him? is that he's also a revealer. He wants to be known, and that's critical in understanding our God. He desires to be found. He desires to be revealed. So I'm going to layer on top of this now, the same way God layered upon uh, his nature to Moses and the people of Israel, and that is the Lord our God is holy, as it says in Psalm ninety-nine nine. He is otherly. The word holy, one of my favorite ways to describe it is like an adverb, otherly. Not as the dark, but light. Not as death, but life. Not as a lie, but truth. Not as the bad, but good. Not as the flesh, but spirit. Not as sin, but righteous. Not as dishonest scales, but just and equitable. Not as a wave of the sea tossed to and fro, but unchanging. Not as self-centered, but love. Not as lawlessness, but as the perfect fulfillment of the law. Otherly. That's who God is. Always and eternally otherly. Never for one moment is he not otherly. But rather he is trifold otherliness. wholly separate from darkness and untouched by its stain. As it says in Isaiah 6, he is holy, holy, holy. He is otherly, otherly, otherly. You see, why does this matter? You see, sin has entered this world, and as a result, the revelation of God has been lost. But God, in revealing himself, must show this world that he is not like it. He is not like it. He is really not like this world. And so in his revelation, he isn't just unchanging, and he isn't just desiring to be known. As he's making himself known, he must make it known that he is not like this world. We are not like him. He is holy. We are unholy. Very important in the revelation of God to every soul. So I'm going to put that block in. He is holy. He has no darkness in him. He is perfectly otherly. There is no darkness in God. There is no sin in him. He is other than this world. There is sin in this world, but he has no sin in him. He is not like this world. Now we're going to add a next block. O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. Now most of us know and understand that God is righteous and this is of course a key theme in the New Testament because unless a man is perfectly righteous he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so as a result you see this attempt in the Old Testament to prove righteousness. We are given a law by God on the on the mount on Mount Sinai those two tablets of stone and then of course you get even a greater dimension of that law, greater breakdown into granular life and living. And men try and live this, this moral law, this, uh, this practice of excellence, and yet over and over again, they fail. You see, God is showing something to his people. Remember, he is always the same. He's never going to alter. And he desires to be known, so he gives us his word. And part of that word is his law. And so he is speaking to us his holiness and his righteousness. He is giving us the way that a man ought to be. But for whatever reason, we're not as we ought to be. What's wrong with us? He's explaining that to us. He's showing us sin. You see, unless we have the righteous standard of God, we cannot realize we are not keeping it. So God makes it clear that he is always the same, and he cannot change. He will not alter. And he desires to be known, but in making himself known, he must start with the premise. Something's wrong with you. I am as I ought to be. I am holy. You are not like me. Something has gone wrong inside of you. What is that something? It's sin. You are unrighteous. So righteousness is as God is. He is unblurred light, eternal life, always truthful, perfectly good, always just, holy loving with a perfect hatred for sin and a perfect love for that which is good. He's wholly unchanging, unblemished, without spot, and the perfect fulfillment of the law. You see, any of us that just listen to that list of what righteousness is, we immediately pale next to it. You see, this is not how we are. We are self-centered. We are self-aggrandizing. We are self-comforting. We are self-seeking. Everything about us is twisted and wrong. And this is why the gospel is so important. As God is revealing himself to us, he's showing us that we need a savior. You see, unless a person knows that he is sick, he will not call upon a physician. And so God is first of all explaining to these people that they are sick and in need of a great physician, that they are sinners and in need of a great savior. So I'm going to layer that one in. Now, if you could see the picture, you would have to, of course, be streaming to catch it or be here in the room. But I have, you know, six blocks of this kingly character on his throne. And the fourth block up is he is righteous. There is no flaw in him. He is perfectly and legally just and right. So let me do a quick review for those of you that are just listening via podcast. The very bottom block is he was and is and is to come. The second block up is he is the word of God. The third block is he is holy. And the fourth block, he is righteous. Now that's a good enunciation of the Old Testament. In other words, God has made it very clear. He's given us law. Why? Because the law is a schoolmaster. It's teaching us something. What is it teaching us? You need a Savior. You see, we have an inerrant problem, and it is called sin. We are sinful. We are sinners. And the word of God has been revealed to us because God Cannot change, he cannot alter. And so to participate with us, we need to become like him. And yet, all that the Old Testament seems to bring to us in the Old Covenant is the revelation that we are not like him. Well, how does that help us? Well, God has also in his word given us a promise. And that is not only is he unchanging, he is the I am, but he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And this is a fact throughout history. This is who God is, that He desires to save. He is inclined towards our benefit. So, though He is, in fact, holy and righteous, pure, without flaw, without faults, there is no darkness in Him. Though that is fact, our God has sought us out and He desires to save us. Ah, 1 John 4 8. Listen to this, guys. God is love. That is just as true as the fact that he is unchanging, that he is always the same. It is just as true as that he is the word of God and that he desires to be known. It is just as true that he is holy and it is just as true as the fact that he is righteous is the fact that he is love. You see, this is who God is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, if all you have is the fact that God is unchanging and God is the word of God and he desires to be known, and what has, he made him, what has he made known? That he is holy and that he is righteous. Well, there's no hope for any of us. You see, God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish. He does not desire us to be crushed under the just penalty of law. He desires us to be set free, to find salvation. But how are we to find it? You see, God, who is perfectly holy and perfectly righteous and perfectly just, without violating his nature, without doing anything that would violate his law, he couldn't steal us. He couldn't lie. He couldn't do anything that violated who he was because he's unchanging. He will never be anything but what he is, which is perfect, holy, and righteous. And so, how did he do it? He came to this earth and lived the life that we were supposed to live and died the death that we were supposed to die. He took the penalty we were supposed to take. He bore the wrath that was supposed to be kindled upon us. And this is the great majesty of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just that he is the I am. It's not just that he is the word of God expressed and made known. It's not just that he is holy and that he is righteous. It's that in light of all of that, he is also love. It is the motivation of who he is. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Utterly profound, and I think most of us, we know this, but we struggle to grasp it. We struggle to comprehend the fact that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't because we did anything or that it was warranted in any regard. Unwarranted, unmerited favor. So I'm going to layer in the next block is he is love. He ever lives to bring us life even at his own expense. That is just as much who God is as the fact that he is unchanging. In fact, he is unchanging in the fact that he is loving. That is a fact of who he is Who he was, who he is, and who he always will be. Oh, guys, the final capstone to it all, grace. It's the labor or the work of God to carry out the impossible errands of the Almighty. You see, God is the God of all grace, and he has given us a high calling, and yet that high calling cannot be lived out by us. We are insufficient for the task You see, God knows that, and God knew that even when he created us, which is why in the very beginning we had grace. We had everything we needed. Adam and Eve had everything they needed to live the life that they were commissioned to live. However, when they rebelled, they lost that. They were cut off from grace. But God has been desiring to return that grace to us from the beginning because he is love. And so God has pursued us, but God knows that without grace, we cannot function. It is like a glove without a hand inside of it. What is it able to accomplish? Nothing. You could give that glove a command, but it cannot do it. It could be a simple command pull that weed. It cannot pull the weed because it needs a hand inside of it. And that hand is like grace, which enables, which causes the true functionality of life to work. So, as I just defined it, grace. And there's a lot of different ways you could define grace. This is just a rich one. It's the labor or the work of God to carry out the impossible errands of the Almighty. So let's look at a short list of impossibilities. Thou shalt be perfect as I am perfect. Thou shalt be holy as I am holy. Thou shalt love as I love. Thou shalt forgive as I forgive. Thou shalt be pure as I am pure. Woo! High standard, impossible life. We're all commissioned to it. You see, God doesn't change, which means he doesn't change his standard. He doesn't change who he is and what he requires. He still is holy and he still is righteous. That is still a fact as revealed in the word of God. But he is love and he is grace. You see, his love moves him to rescue, even at his own expense, to give up his life that we would have life, that we would be enabled to live as we ought to live. And so he does the work for us. We are saved by his working. We are saved by grace. You see, God has to go to work for us. He went to work 2,000 years ago for us, but guess what? He still goes to work for us. God saves us even right now by grace. He works for us. This is how Christianity works. It's not based on our holiness. It's not based on our righteousness. It's not based on our goodness. It's based on His. And this is the revelation of God as revealed in His Word. And it is unchanging. It will never, never veer from what we can read today, what we can know today. God was, is, and always will be the same. This is how He works because it is impossible to be perfect, holy, loving, forgiving and pure and yet he is that. And when that God who is moves inside of us when we believe in him, then now he can be those things on our behalf. The God of all grace. What a great statement in 1 Peter 5:10. All right, so we're going to put our final capstone there right beneath the head of the king. He is grace. He personally is ever laboring to keep our feet from stumbling and to present us a pure and spotless bride marked by His holiness, His righteousness, His purity, and His amazing love. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So back to Hebrews 11.6, which is right near the beginning of where we started. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We must know that God is always the same. We must believe it. We must build our life upon it. But not just that, we must also believe that he is something very specific. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He is love and he is grace. So Same picture of the king. Now, if you can see this via the stream, you'll notice that I have a descriptor of the bottom four. I have it with lines to it. It says, He is. This is who He is. He was, He is, He is to come. He is the Word of God. He is holy and He is righteous. And then up top, I have He is a rewarder. And I take the top two and I I draw arrows to Him. He is love and He is grace. You see, he is inclined towards our benefit. He desires us to succeed. And unless you combine those, you're really a miserable person. See, if you separate out the he is, and you just have he as a rewarder, and you don't understand the the work of the cross, you don't understand the necessity of his shed blood, you're missing something. You're missing a key component in understanding the functionality of the Christian But at the same time, if all you have is his righteousness and his law and his standard, and you don't understand that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, and just by turning in faith unto him, you can be saved because he is love and he is grace. You're missing, again, a key component in the functionality of the Christian. So now I did something, same same picture of the king with six blocks, but the bottom part I put the law. It is the standard. It is the righteousness. There's nothing wrong with law, even though we have a negative conception of it. It is the righteousness, the perfection of God. It is who he is. It's a revelation of his nature. However, at the top, I have grace. You see, the law is not what saves us. It's what brings us to a savior. The law exposes sin, but grace is what rescues us. And so I have grace pointing to love and grace. That this is God working on our behalf, giving his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, look at that screen. Now, I feel bad for any of you that are not streaming because you're missing the rainbow. Remember I started out, this this message is called The Rainbow People, and I started out by saying, every time you see God as revealed in the heavenlies, he is clothed in a rainbow. And so what we have is the beautiful, mesmerizing, loveliness of God as revealed in all of his nature. You see, as Christians, we celebrate the vast nature of God, of who he is, the manifold wonder of it, that he is, he was, who he was, he is, and he is to come, that he is the word of God, come to this earth in flesh to reveal to us the invisible God. That he is, in fact, holy, holy holiness. That he is perfect, spotless righteousness. And he is the lamb that was slain for our sins. That he is, in fact, the God of love. Who is willing to sacrifice himself that we would find life. And he is the grace of God revealed. He is God working on our behalf to rescue us. Still, not just back then, but today. That he exercises us. He labors for us so that we could live and find life. It is a rainbow. The manifold wonder of God revealed. And so, sorry, those of you that are listening via podcast, you can't see my king. All those blocks turned into Roy G. Biv, uh, red, orange, yellow, uh, Roy G. Green, Uh, Biv. uh, Blue, indigo, violet. I always have to review that. I I can never just say them. I have to go Roy G. Biv. But there it is. Roy G. Biv. Jesus. The always savior. The one, the only one who is always. So I started by calling it the rainbow people. Because you, you might say, oh, you should have called this the rainbow God. It would have been accurate. The rainbow God. That's who he is. He is unchanging. He is always the same. He has given us a memorial into all generations, and that is that when He reveals Himself, He will never alter from that revelation. That is true. But God also is clothing us in Himself, He is bringing us into that rainbow. And yet, to do that, we were given the life of Christ. Jesus is, in fact, the always Savior. He is the only one who is always. It's not us that is always. It's Christ that is always, and then he brings us into that alwaysness. And this is in John 8, 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Well, wouldn't that be nice if you could say that about your life? That you do always those things that please him. You see, this is Christ. It's not us. It's Christ that does this. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he always lives to make intercession for them. He didn't just make intercession for us back then, 2,000 years ago, but he always makes intercession. See, he's the unchanging God who was, who is, and always will be the intercessor, the one who stands in the gap as our champion and fights for us, does the labor for us. That's Jesus. So now this is where we come in. The always people. You see, we're Christians. This is going to sound funny because it sounds way too big of a statement for us, but we are supposed to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, like God. In other words, we're clothed in him. We're given the grace of God. What do you think God's going to work inside of us? He doesn't want us going up and down, bad mood today, you know, good mood tomorrow. I I did it backwards with my hands. Uh, Good mood today, bad mood tomorrow. In other words, God doesn't change and he wants to make us stable in him that we could be always So when people see us no matter what they see us in if they see us in uh, tragedy or triumph what are they saying wow they're always the same they're always full of joy they're always praying they're always giving thanks you see there is an attribute to us as christians which is meant to be always so here's my description of it the ones in whom the always savior lives moves and has his being Leviticus 6.13, talking about the fire burning in the temple. And then Paul says in the New Testament, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? You see, the fire shall always be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. There is meant to be a fire that burns in the temple of the believer that never goes out. It is meant to be stoked daily so that we could maintain a constancy of devotion. Okay, now listen to this. I collected a whole bunch of always statements out of Scripture. This is how we're going to finish. This is powerful. We set the Lord always before us, and because he is at our right hand, we shall not be moved. Psalm 16:8. We ought always to pray, Luke 18:1, and without ceasing make mention of others always in our prayers, Romans 1:9. We thank God our God always, 1 Corinthians 1:4, 1, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15:58. For he always causes us to triumph in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2:14. 2, we are always bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body, 2 Corinthians 4.10. We are always confident, 2 Corinthians 5.6. And due to his abounding grace, we always have all sufficiency in all things in order to abound to every good work, 2 Corinthians 9.8. We are giving thanks always for all things, Ephesians 5.20. And always making our requests with joy, Philippians 1.4. And we are always magnifying Christ in our bodies, whether it be by life or by death, Philippians 1.20. We are always obeying, Philippians 2.12. We are rejoicing in the Lord always, Philippians 4.4. Praying always, Colossians 1.3. And our speech is always with grace, seasoned with salt. We are always laboring fervently for others in prayer, Colossians 4.12. And giving thanks to God always for others, 1 Thessalonians 1.2. We always follow that which is good, first Thessalonians five fifteen. And we rejoice always, first Thessalonians five sixteen. We are bound to thank God always for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we pray always. Second Thessalonians one three and eleven and second 2 Thessalonians two thirteen, making mention of others always in our prayers. Philemon one four. Boy that is that is pretty stout, guys, when it talks about us being an always people. We're the rainbow people. We're the people that actually bear witness to the invisible God. We can't see Christ right now. He is seated in heavenly places. But we can see Christ through each other. Through the life of a Christian, we can showcase that nature, that rainbow of God. It doesn't just take a a vision of Ezekiel to be able to see the grandeur, the glory of God. Actually, the church is meant to bear witness to that vision amazing, beautiful, brilliant rainbow of God's nature. Let's finish just by asking God that that revelation would come forth out of our lives today. Father, for you and your glory, Lord, may that rainbow of your amazing nature, your beauty, be revealed in and through us. Lord, that we would recognize afresh today that your standards are not lowered, because of your love and grace, they are fulfilled. Lord, you do not alter to rescue us. You have not compromised to gain us, but you have lifted us up by your grace. You have given us your clothing of righteousness. You have given us your Holy Spirit. You are the one that makes us right in your sight. Lord, you have not compromised but you have done something so magnificent in rescuing us. Lord, we are undeserving, and you are deserving. But Lord, we thank you for putting value on us. In fact, such great value that you gave up your very life to purchase us. And Lord, that's even hard for us to swallow and comprehend. But may we live lives worthy of this calling we've received. May the world behold who you are today.